Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Chip Stites with us today, all the way from Italy. He's retired, but not retired yet. He's the founder of Laughing Retirement and we'll find out what that company is all about. He's out there trying to help people with their personal financial freedom, financial stability, and he's got decades of experience as a financial advisor, but mind you, he wasn't a financial advisor to begin with. So let's learn from Chip what he did and how did he get where he is today. So welcome, Chip. Thank you, Rajiv. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure having you. So, you know, Plan B Success, we talk about trying this, trying that, you know, and finding success where you truly want to pursue a career or where your passions lie. And I think your story is very similar. So in, in your words, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get to where you are today? Thanks. I mean, I, it, 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 my father, when he was alive, looked at me one day and said, how did you ever get here? Because it, it was kind of a circuitous path. I graduated from college uh, with a minor in uh, education and a uh, degree in history and philosophy. And I thought I wanted to teach school. After teaching school for two years, I realized there's nothing I didn't want to do more than, than teach school. I didn't, I didn't like it. So I went back to school in fine arts. Um, I'd always done theater. I'd always sung. And uh, after a bit of time there, I, I got a job singing. And I sang professionally for five years and realized I really didn't like working at night. Um, you, you finish your last set at two or three and gee, the night's shot. So I stopped doing that. And I had a friend who along the way had said, said please, I'd like you to come sell insurance for me. And I had no other offers at the time. So I wound up selling insurance door to door in the coal fields of West Virginia. True. And I've got so many stories and things that happened about that, that it's, 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 it's truly amazing. Uh, I knocked on a door once and found a rifle on my back. But that's another story. After doing that for, for about a year, I realized I didn't like selling insurance. People didn't always need insurance, number one. But almost everybody I talked to had no financial education whatsoever, and they had not enough savings, and they didn't know how to invest. And that's what I wanted to do. And so I left that job and, and moved to New Mexico. And as I'm sure you're aware, if you're in the insurance or investment business, in order to get started, it's everybody you know. And I had just moved there, and I didn't know anybody. So no one would hire me. Finally, I went to a general agent, went back to doing what I had done before, and said, okay, I'll make you a deal. If you'll hire me, I'll be your best salesman in six months or you can have my commissions. And he laughed and said, all right, I'll give you a job. And so I started going door to door. I had learned how to do that. So I went door to door, and in six months, I was his uh, largest salesman. And again, I didn't want to sell insurance, but that was the door I had open at the time. 
So during that time, I began studying for my securities license. And within nine years from the time I'd started after having done three or four or five other things, I guess actually pretty close to 15 years after college, I got my securities license. And from then on, I spent my time in securities. Um, and I became the top securities person for this particular insurance company. Problem was, I didn't want to sell insurance. Well, if you're working for an insurance company and not selling insurance, you got another problem. Because you're not doing what they want you to do either. Mm-hmm. So I got hired by a bank and I started managing a portfolio. And I managed a portfolio of around $100 million. And it was during this time that I saw, for the first time, the perpetual income engine, the thing which I'm kind of doing now, 20 years after that, more than 20 years, 25 years after that. And just like everybody, I started selling mutual funds. And I had a mentor who told me, number one, don't do what everybody else is doing. Number two, make sure you know the bad side of every investment as well as the good. Number three, if you don't own it, you can't sell it to anybody. If you're going to sell something, you better own it yourself. And number four, don't believe everything you're told. And it served me really, really well. In 19, I don't know whether you remember the late 90s or not, but Rajiv, that was a time when the dot-coms were blowing and going. I mean, they were, they were everything. And the market was going through the roof. And I watched value-style funds, income-style funds, all of a sudden have dot-coms in them. Mm-hmm. And I realized this wasn't working. So I started looking around for a place to go, and that's when ETFs had started. So I started looking at ETFs. I learned how to move in and out of markets, and my average client in, in uh, 2000 to 2003 lost 30 40% less than the market lost. And in today's drop, right now, my portfolio is down less than half of what the market's down. And so I started looking at ETFs and what they did and how they worked and how they were making money. And I realized in time that ETFs were fine, but they were taking more than their fee. So if they're making money other ways from you, and the simple answer to that is you see the yield of a stock, but when you're looking at an ETF, you see the distributive yield. That means what they are giving you, not what they're earning. And so somewhere around the late, or around the mid-2000s, I slowly began getting out of ETFs and into individual stocks. In 2008 and 9, my average client lost 11.9% and had their money back in a year. My worst client, 25%. My best client made a little over one. And I realized that the tried and true method that foundations use and that a guy named Warren Buffett uses um, was better for retirees and better for people trying to build something than everything the financial industry tells us, even though I was sitting in the middle of the financial industry. 
So then I dropped my fees to what they were when I sold my business, about a half a percent. I had a number of uh, representatives come and tell me that they were going to sue me. And I said, guys, you're, you're welcome to try, but it's not going to work. I have the right to do this. They didn't. And it wasn't a problem. But the objective was to lower the costs and lower the expensive expenses of the investors so that they could make money too. So this has been an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2014, I had already done three radio shows and I started doing a show with a friend called The Laughing Retirement. And it kind of stuck. I kind of liked it. Because I tried to retire three times and couldn't figure it out. And finally, I realized that most of retirement, while having something to do with finances, doesn't have everything to do with finances. There's more to it than that. I did a couple of mini retirement camps for myself. Basically, that consisted of going from uh, where I was in New Mexico to Malaga, Spain, spending three or four days there, hopping on a cruise ship. And, and coming home by myself, where I just sat down and tried to figure out what I wanted to do if I wasn't working, if I could do things on my own. How could I help people? What would I like to do? Well, I wanted to write, I wanted to travel, and I wanted to teach people. Back to my roots, back to where I started. And Rajiv, that's kind of where we are today. So, you know, at, at the earlier point in your career, you did not like teaching, but that's where you went back to, right? So what, what do you see changed? Number one, I'm teaching what I want to teach in the way I want to teach it. I'm trying to help people learn what is really quite simple, investing. That the financial industry tells you is very, very complicated and you can't do it. I, I sat in front of a guy who was interested in, in buying my book, and I showed him what I was doing and how we had done. And he says, quite impressive. I said, well, I'd, I'd like to have a mentor to help me learn more about investing. He said, oh, you can't do that. You, you don't know how to invest. We have people who, who that's all they do. Your job is to bring in money. And so the financial industry has taught us that we can't do this. And so I am teaching people because – I enjoy sharing. I, I, I enjoy watching someone learn something new. It changes lives. It, 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 whether you're two or whether you're 50, and I have a couple grandkids that are pretty young, or whether you're 60 and retiring, this is just not difficult to do. And so I'm kind of back to my roots helping people doing what I like to do to begin with. You know, you mentioned that uh, you tried to retire a couple of times and, and went back to doing something before you finally retired. And you also learned that retirement doesn't have everything to do with finance. You know, there's more to it. What did you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I'll give you the simple example. I'm married. Mm-hmm. And when she and I were both working, we saw each other three hours a day. We went to sleep. Saturday morning, we woke up. We did something on the weekends. We relaxed on Sunday. We did something else on Sunday evening. We went back to work. And we really didn't see much of each other until the next Saturday morning. 
when you're retired and you get up in the morning, Monday morning at eight o'clock, she's there and you're there. And you're there 24 seven. You're not going out the door. She's not going out the door. And so how you live together goes changes. Psychologists say that 40 to 50% of us have a tough time adjusting to non-work life because so much of our identity is, is inside what we do. It's part of what we believe. It's part of our self-worth. And so it is adjusting that and creating another life that, that Sean and I worked very hard at and that was part of our move from the United States to Italy. So the financial aspect of retirement is one thing. The, what you're talking about is the, the emotional aspect of it. And in your programs, do you, do you work with people on both the angles? Yes. Um, right. What seems to appeal to people is, is, um, most is the retirement angle, because the financial angle. Because that's what they're taught. You don't have enough money to retire. You need to give us your money. You need to have more. We can do it for you. We know how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. But about 40% of the people have a rough time knowing how to adjust. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, we're having a, a mini retirement camp, if you want to call it that, from April 30th to May 9th here in Rieti. Um, we'll have morning classes at a relaxed rate, teaching people how to adjust to retirement, what they want to do, uh, finding out what they would like out of their life, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, very little on the financial side, but in the afternoons, we're going to go to some good Italian restaurants. We're going to have some great Italian wine. We're going to visit very interesting places in central Italy, um, Ascoli Piceno for one. Uh, we're we're going to go to a bunch of restaurants that are true Italian restaurants. And Italians eat differently. There's a different pace to their eating. They drink differently. Um, so we're going to introduce people to a more relaxed lifestyle along the way so that they get to do here in Italy the same thing that I did twice on cruises going back from Europe to the United States where I kind of figured out what I was going to try to do. You know, when it comes to designing the retirement plan, especially it's unique for everybody and their situation, right? But a lot of people, when it comes to retirement, they worry about what they have accumulated and if it's going to last them through the rest of their life. You know, that's the, that's the biggest, uh, I think, uh, challenge that people have trying to understand it. Is there is there like a like a set number that are you know? And I know everybody's retirement design is different, but is there like a set number that they can put their thumb on and say this is this is the minimum I need to have and that kind of stuff? No, and I say that because we're living on less than half of what we were spending in the U.S. Now, we wanted to travel, and I realized very quickly I didn't have the money to, to go back and forth across the pond all the time. Mm -hmm. And I figured out that if we moved to Italy, we could live on somewhere between 25 and 40% of what we were spending in the U.S., all included. 
That's one of the reasons why we're here. One of the reasons people worry about running out of money is because they are dependent upon increases in the market for their income. If they were dependent upon dividends and interest, they wouldn't have to worry about that. Because even in a market fall of 20, 30, 40%, if you take 2008, 63% of the companies that said they were gonna, inter- they were gonna increase their dividends before 2008, increased their dividends during the drop. So dividends are a much different deal than whether or not you worry about the market. And the thing about future-proofing your income, the event that we have regularly, the class that we teach, is how to make the shift from a growth investor to a dividend value investor so that you don't have to worry about that. And if you will set what you take out at a reasonable level, you don't have to worry about that. Now, we adjusted our lifestyle for our, for our savings. That's why we did it. And you can adjust your lifestyle, too, by changing the state you're in. Some states charge personal income tax. New Mexico did. So we moved out of New Mexico before we came to Europe. We moved to Nevada. We now have a house in Montana, all of which are lower tax rates than New Mexico was. So um, there are so many adjustments that you can make to avoid the problems of finance, but it doesn't pay a financial advisor to, to, to figure out whether or not you should move to Oklahoma in order to save money or move to Florida, move to Texas, move to Nevada. Most of the time, Financial advisors are trying to sell you a product as opposed to a plan because that's what saves you money. We want to work with somebody on a planning basis, a personal basis, and a finance basis to lower their costs, lower their risks, and have them find a way where they don't have to worry about that because retirement should be the best time of life. It should be without any question. We deserve it. Absolutely. So what do, you, what do you believe is the worst or probably not the best retirement advice that people are getting and they still tend to believe in it? God. You know, every so often I go on chat rooms if I want to be disgusted. I go to a chat room and I'll, I'll stick something in. About three months ago, I went on a chat room. And I was listening to people say, load up the 401k, load up the 401k, load up the 401k. That's one of the worst things you can do. Why is that? Because the, the, the value of a 401k is in its match. When the company matches, that's the value of it. The other value of the 401k is the ability to get to a Roth, which is tax-free. I had more people who were successful at saving have their tax rates go up in retirement than I did go down. The two CPAs I worked with, one of them said I would never have a pre-tax investment, never have one. And he didn't have a 401k and he wouldn't have a 401k. 
he gave his people an extra five or 6% in their salary to make up for that. They could do what they wanted. But he invested after tax and he invested in businesses because that's where the tax breaks are. Do you realize that if you buy a U.S. domiciled company, the dividends are taxed at somewhere between zero and 20%. And the average person will pay more than that in ordinary income tax. Master limited partnerships are taxed at zero because they reduce their basis. So there are a lot of ways to reduce your taxes if you're not in a 401k and not in an IRA. And so the ability to control your income and the ability to um, spend less money in taxes and fees, et cetera, et cetera, is critical to adjusting your income along the way so that you can retire. Did I answer your question or did I run off on a tangent there? No, no, I think that, that, that's helpful. Um, but but a, lot, a lot of retirees don't get that advice, right? They, they, get, they, they get the statutory advice of 401k, IRAs, save more than you spend. You know, these, these, this is what they get. But nobody tells them the nuances of why pay taxes now so that you can save in the future. The other CPA I had had very little in his, his uh, 401k, company 401k, because he only put in up to the match. He had a lot of money after tax. Both CPAs understood the value of an after-tax account and paying your taxes as you go. The idea that you are going to pay less taxes when you retire is just plain not true because the tax brackets are so wide. And so that financial advisors are taught to sell product. That's what they're taught to sell, financial products. I have a lady right now who's, who's in class who has three quarters of a million dollars. Her advisor charges her 1.42%. She's in 50 different mutual funds, which is give or take another 0.75 to 1%. So she's paying 2.5% on $750,000, give or take. It's $15,000 a year. If she saved the $15,000 a year and she saved it at 5% because she's not getting it anyway, over 20 years, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000, $300,000 more in her pocket. Right. So, you, mentioned, you mentioned books that you've written. And, you know, uh, so can you talk through the books you authored? I, I have not authored any books. Okay. I have read a lot of books and I am writing a book. Okay. My wife and I are writing a book on retirement and how to create a new life in retirement, because that's literally what we've done here. And I have the outline of a book called Stay Away from Wall Street about, about a different way of becoming comfortable in what you have. And I, I, if you have the time, Rajiv, I, I tell you a story about the first perpetual income engine I saw in 1996. Sure, please do. I was managing about $100 million, and I had one portfolio that I kept looking at. Didn't go up a lot when the market went up, didn't drop a lot when the market went down, but it just kept growing, and I couldn't figure out why. 
Every year I would pay the owner of it somewhere around 15,000 bucks and it didn't even phase the, the account. Finally, I picked up the phone and said, um, called him and said, I'd like to take you to lunch. He said, oh, you want to do an annual review? I said, no, I want to pick your brain. I said, we can do an annual review, but I want to take you to lunch for other reasons. So I took him to lunch and I said, it was about a million five, million seven. And I said, where did you get this? How, how did you put this together? And he said, oh, I didn't inherit it. I inherited it from my, I got it from my dad. My brother got one half and I got the other half. And I said, so it's really 3.5 million. He said, yeah, it's a little bit more than that, actually. But yeah. I said, you don't take much money out of it. He said, no, my father taught me that that's for the long run and for my grandkids and, and for their grandkids. That's a bad idea. But we do take vacations on it. And occasionally we will buy something that we like. I said, okay, tell me about your dad. I said, was he a doctor, a physicist, a mathematician? What, what did he do? Was he a lawyer? He said, no, 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 no. My dad was a conductor on a train. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. He said, my dad was a conductor on the train. And when we were growing up, every time he had a little bit of money, he'd go buy stock. I said, you're kidding me. That was during high commissions. He said, yeah, it didn't matter to him. He just bought stock. He said, but he had four rules. Rule number one, buy companies that you know what they do. Rule number two, always buy companies that pay you for the risk you take. Rule number three, always reinvest the dividend. Rule number four, never invest more than you think you can lose. Now, this guy was a conductor with two kids or three kids that never made more than $40,000 a year. He left his, his daughter, three kids. He left his daughter the home and the land. He left his sons the investment accounts. And he had a portfolio, land, home, all that included of close to five, five, five and a half million bucks. Pretty awesome. It is awesome. And he invested very, very simply. That's the same thing Peter Lynch says. That's the same thing that Warren Buffett says. That's the same thing that every foundation that starts out does. They don't buy the high-tech stock. They buy something that pays them dividends because they need the money. And so why aren't we doing that? We aren't doing that because nobody makes any money if we do that. And after all, it's about everybody else making money, not us. But that's not the case with me. So what's, where do people find you know, your courses and more information about what you do, Chip? Well, they, they can reach me, and, and I'll be happy to talk. I'll, I'll talk to anybody. Um, no obligation. I'm not going to charge you. But they can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at thelaughingretirement.com. They can go on the website, which is The Laughing Retirement, and look through their 60-some blogs. There are, there's financial information there. There's a bunch of their videos. 
a bunch of different things there. There are the courses on how to retire, the financial courses, et cetera, et cetera. They're all there. Um, I also have a Facebook community called the Laughing Retirement Community. And you can get on that and we can chat back and forth and we may find a way that we can help you. And if we can, that's great. That's pretty awesome. Well, Chip, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story and all the important tips that people need to take note of, especially when it comes to something as serious as retirement. You know, a lot of people don't think about retirement until very late in the game, whereas that should be the first thing that you start with when you start a career. You're absolutely correct, Rajiv. And that's, that's I suggest that people start planning their retirement 10 years out. At least. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, Chip, any final words, anything that you'd like to share with the listeners, anything top of mind? Retirement should be the best time of life, without any question. We have more knowledge, more understanding of ourselves and other people than at any other time of life. And it seems that just when we're at the top of our game, somebody says, no, time for you to quit. And that's fine. Because now you have the chance to make your best life, to become your best self, and do things you've always wanted to do. To me, retirement is the time to live your dreams. Very nice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing. It's my pleasure, Rajiv. Thank you very much. 